0: Welcome guys to the Google Podcast. I am Rob Watson and in today's show I'm speaking with Ben Talon, who is a writer, illustrator and the host of the Arrest All Minutes podcast. I've known Ben now for a while and I was lucky to be on his podcast a few years back, so I'm excited to have him on the show and hear about his latest two books two new books among other things and also considering he's recently become a father to twins it makes it even more impressive that he's been able to produce this new work while juggling nappies and sleepless nights so uh, thanks Ben for coming on the show
1: you're most welcome It's the pleasure mine and thank you for having me
0: yeah i was just saying so you know we've been on your show in the past and really you know inspired but your creativity and what you've put out, you know, we're you know we're in similar, you know, we're in similar fields, aren't we, and stuff. But before we talk talk about the books and stuff and everything else you've been up to, um, I'm really want to hear more about you know becoming a father and how you've managed to stay focused and creative, you know, because put not just to create one book, but to actually to create two books is a uh, is pretty impressive. And you've got twins, so maybe that's why you've created two books because you got twins. Yeah, I'd love to hear. It him. Does get a-
1: it does get, sorry to jump yeah, it does get flagged up there in the the, the twin, the the twin-twin thing. Um, There is a weird symmetry there. Um, I don't know, I don't know. I'm starting to question my state of mind that I suppose it's such an in-the-trenches experience, parenthood, that you know, you can do all the planning in the world, but there's always going to be a large degree of you're in it and you respond how you respond and you. it might be completely different to what you anticipated. And I suppose with the writing I've been, I've been, I've been writing on and off, which we can talk about at some point, for years, for my life in some way, I've always been fascinated with storytelling. Um, but I don't know, I accelerated during this time. Leading up to this, I was very much, you know, let's bank as many stories as possible because it's likely that I'm going to be completely uh, frazzled and thrown off my creativity and productivity, um, so I, you know, I wanted to try and get, let's say, thirty short stories in the bank, so that you know I was well on the track to to build in a portfolio as a writer, because it's all very new in terms of formalizing doing this and calling it writer. You know, calling myself a writer. So it wasn't a plan to sort of keep writing when these guys were born. I thought I'd be doing nothing other than, as you alluded to, changing nappies and the rest of it. But to my surprise, I found that maybe it was what people had said to me, the old stereotypical, oh, you, you will not be doing that. You know, wait till them kids come along. None of that. It's like people seize upon this thing you enjoy doing the most. I don't know what, what that is. And they want to strangle it because you're having kids. And I don't know. I don't know what that is. But anyway, it, I'm very competitive naturally. And I don't know where that comes from. I think it's quite just natural for me. And my back went up you know, in my mind very quietly. I'm thinking, bloody well. And I'll do more than before. And I think there's been an aspect of that, but also the times it's been an incredibly strange time for everyone for obvious reasons with everything that's going on with this pandemic. And I think that plus fatherhood left me in this very psychedelic headspace with fatigue and adrenaline and all these new experiences going on around me. And and what I found was these things that i would feared for so many years, you know, all the, all the the, the stereotypical trappings inverted commas, um, so to speak, of parenthood, I found the opposite. I found they gave me ideas way beyond anywhere my head had been to that point because, you know, you can't hypothetically experience parenthood. So suddenly going through my wife and I, we actually had IVF and we're going through all that process. And then parenthood all in, we're talking three years, three years of all these new challenging and also amazing experiences left me with the ideas that just cracked me up as they came in my head and, and things I shouldn't have been writing about uh, you know breastfeeding workshop There's a story set within a breastfeeding workshop and this as a writer it's something my uncle described as flypaper mind I don't know if you're old enough to remember the old flypaper that people used to have in their living rooms too. it's horrible but that's by, by the by um, but that's what happens everything sticks and you you fail you stop being able to observe something beyond the mind space of a writer, I find once you start doing this and you click with it. So that's what happened to me and suddenly I'm thrown into all this new chaos. And I think there were so many ideas brimming, you know, that whenever I got a moment when the babies would nap or if I couldn't sleep or I woke up early, I would, you know, blessed with this technology, I would get on my phone, get the notes up and just start writing this very raw stuff and just ran with what what became a very natural urge to write more and more. You know beyond that it's hard to explain, but it was just something I ran
0: with Do you think there's an element of um, Like for instance as we're you know, we have sort of certain stereotypes as males and stuff And I think naturally we want to kind of feel like we're providing in some way for our family And maybe as that time comes there's an element of thinking well, like obviously you've got people saying to you You can't you're not gonna be able to do that. So I'm gonna do it But maybe there's another partner that thinks you know what? i you know i want to be there even more i want to be producing even more whether it means you know to earn more money or to do more stuff to create that kind of environment but i think personally i think that's what's coming up for me because you know um i'm not sure when this podcast can go out i might might have already been a dad by the time this is this podcast is 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 launched but i'm really interested in finding out um these type of you know this information really because i want to still feel inspired for me to to do stuff and um so what, what do you think? Do you think there's an element of that thinking, you know, well, you want to, you know, you've got this feeling of like providing and doing more? Yes,
1: 100%. And I think it's, you know what, it's, it's interesting. Sometimes when these questions get asked, it kind of um, formalises an idea that's not even occurred to me consciously. But yes, very much so. And I think what that comes down to is, I've been an illustrator now for 12 years. And through that process, I always clung very dearly to my own ideals in terms of well, what I wanted my style to be. Um, I was always, I guess, blessed in, in, I connected with the idea early on of the things I was drawn to. So the books and the films and the other artists and what they represented. Quite early on, I I had a tangible idea of that. And it was this very raw, ephemeral um, human, you know, way of creating art, be that writing or illustrating. And I always clung to that and I always knew that that's what my style had to be, because in some way it was a reflection of my personality. So throughout my illustration, I, you know, don't get me wrong, I've taken on the same amount of jobs to pay the bills as everyone else has that maybe didn't fit entirely with that. But all along the way, I shaped my portfolio and my brand to to really um, protect what I knew that I wanted to be so as time's gone on it's purified my my work pool so to speak and I've got increasing amounts of jobs that I don't just like but love and and really want to work on That seem to be tailor-made for me as a character and my style as an illustrative style so having had that journey and reached a place now in my illustration where it's rare that I get a job that doesn't feel right for me and I don't want to take a backward step just because parenthood's come along and you're right that pressure to provide is very real and uh, you know all of a sudden Laura goes on maternity and she's a freelancer so we, we get you know the very basic maternity pay which isn't great um then I want to take 12 weeks off because I'm excited about fatherhood and I don't want to miss the, those moments which equates to zero money for me because I'm a freelancer back to that point so I was very aware of all of that so i f- I suppose that, yeah, there was, there was an, an aspect of fighting tooth and nail to make sure that not only was I still doing these jobs, because in the short term, that's not particularly endangered, you know, if I've been sensible, I've saved money and the rest of it. But long term, I don't want to see that stripped away, because suddenly I've got two mouths to feed. It's very much a case of, I actually want to go the other way. And I love the idea of having complete control over the work that I take on and choose to do, be that a weird little book off my own back, a podcast. Um, you know, maybe I want to take a couple of days out to do a lecture at a university where I, I managed to get a hundred quid on my travel covered, but I want it all to be my own choice. And I know that now is the time to make good on laying the foundations of, of, you know, being an author. Um, and, continuing to be an illustrator so yes to answer the question simply very much so that was a very practical driver and just fear i suppose fear being used in a very positive way to make sure that i did not let up in any way shape or
0: form yeah that's inspiring to hear really inspiring so in terms of your books and stuff that you've got so you've you've done a book in the past haven't you which you was um published by was it a japanese company um it was
1: published initially by Lid, who were a small boutique publisher, business book publisher in London. Um, called Champagne and Wax Crayons. Um, and the subtitle is riding the madness of the creative industry. Long story short, it was a rant on Tumblr of a frustrated freelancer that could have been any frustrated freelancer going through rejection and not quite knowing where to point their efforts and the rest of the things that we're all very familiar with and about three people were reading this blog, you know, to the point where some of the posts were that venomous that some people would check in to make sure I was all right. (laughs) And what happened was I loved the kind of the therapy side of it for me alone, but also the fact that the people that were reading it really liked the honesty. So I kept doing it and slowly these numbers grew and they never got to anything significant, maybe, you know, I don't know, 50 people or something, but that was enough. And It ended up becoming Champagne and Wax Crayons, which was this very, you know, I objectified it by that point and and made it this a very personal account. But every single story is told with the person in mind who doesn't know me and doesn't care about me, um, that they would get on board with myself as this character who was going through this, wanting to use something very, a very real passion and a real personal pursuit that is creativity and being artistic to make a living. You know and that is a famously a big struggle and i just wanted to tell that story in a very comedic um brutally honest fashion so that it might comfort the next person who's going through that and the reception was way beyond anything i could have imagined in terms of you know in our industry it was very much that it was like okay you have to read this you know i'm going through this this morning and and so that came out um but it sold very moderately. I mean, not bad at all, to be honest, way, way more than I could have anticipated. But if we're looking at it from a publisher perspective, they probably, it was quite clear they moved on within six months, you know, and I was left on this, you know, for the contract to play out, so to speak. But it opened so many doors for me. Um, and then, yeah, it did it, it. quite bizarrely got translated into Japanese and published with a publisher called e g Press in Tokyo, who were fantastic. And they're another business publisher. And they loved it. And, I, you know, we went, my wife and I went to Japan on holiday and did all that. And it was just incredible. And did some talks for people in Tokyo and still digesting that experience. I would put it on a par with parenthood in terms of completely surreal that feels like someone else lived it. <laughs> um, but yeah, and then I never stopped to think that I could call myself writer or even set up a home for my words, really. It was just this thing that was an extension of my studio that just like the podcast became something I loved doing and didn't think too much about. You know, I'm just, I was an illustrator and I wasn't going to start calling myself anything else. Um, And then I guess that leads me into where we just talked about in terms of I had been writing for a couple of years and started to try my hand at fiction. Thanks really to that journey of being a creative professional and not being afraid to try my hand in new areas, I'd realized that even if you don't ever get you know, to the position where you could call yourself a writer in this instance. There are so many doors that open from just putting this work that you're passionate about into the world and seeing what happens. And it's amazing the things that come back. So I thought, well, why the hell not? I'll have a go fiction. Maybe it's awful, but it's fine if it's awful, because I'll probably get some stuff funny stories out of it that I can talk about on the podcast. But feedback has been good, and I've really loved writing fiction, and that's what these two books are, but they're very much influenced by personal experiences and the experiences of those close at hand um you know who knows where this journey is going to go now but i think i just reached a point in my career where i'm very happy to try the next thing and see what happens and have some fun
0: I think that's a great, um, any takeaway from it, you know, from this podcast, you know, just see where it goes and have fun is a, is a great kind of mantra or philosophy to have for life. But But what I really like about that is hearing about it is you just started off like blogging that was on Tumblr just because you needed, you know, you needed a way to channel some of your frustration out. But realizing, you know, you didn't think at that point that you'd have free books out in a few years time or you'd have this successful podcast with hundreds of episodes out there. You know, you would just be like, I need an outlet for me to get this down. And often we find that when we do have an outlet, there's someone at the other end who's who's willing to read, listen, watch your your material that can inspire them as well. And it might not be that you can inspire hundreds of thousands of people, but it might be that you inspire you know, five people or a few dozen or a hundred people, and 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 then the ripple effect that goes on there. But yeah, I love that it just started as a Tumblr, and it's just, you know, it. You didn't have them great expectations, probably. I know we can we can all get carried away, I think, sometimes. i mean, like, oh, if I do this or this, but like you say, with a podcast or anything you do, if you start small and stay flexible and be open to just like, oh, where would this go? You know, because who knows what the medium is going to be like in a few years' time? Podcasts are huge at the moment. But there might be something else that appears and you'll be able to just like move, transition into that. And what I think as well is what I really like about you, Ben, as well as the confidence that you've got to just do these things. And it's the same thing that like you wouldn't go back, class yourself in an author. You maybe can comfortably say that you are, I'm an illustrator or I'm a graphic artist or whatever. But I think sometimes we can have hang ups, can't we, about associating ourselves with stuff like I think a bit of an ego thing or our mind to say well we are not that really, you know other people are that, but actually, if you write, you're a writer, if you draw mm-hmm. you're an artist in some way, you don't have to be you know this new york times um you know author or in in the MoMA gallery or something like that to be classed as a writer or an artist, you can just be in a thing anyone who's listening to this or has got aspirations to do stuff, it's kind of just like giving it a go and just starting to see where it goes. And don't think you have to, you know, reach for the, for the stars or something. It can be, you know, start small. So I like to, that's really nice to hear that, that little journey, Ben.
1: It's, I agree completely, Robin. It's, um, it's, I liken it to something that I had to kind of train myself in, which was not becoming overwhelmed um, in, in the illustration process from a job, you know, taking on a job from A to B, I would always get jobs that I loved or for clients that I admired. And I would lose a part of the pleasure of that victory by stressing myself out by looking at the end game. And, and as you say, this is a life lesson. This isn't just a creativity or a career lesson. It's very much let's tackle what's right here in front of us. It's a mindfulness exercise and and I would always, you know, look at the blank page and look at the 40 portraits that I had to make in in a month. And you think, okay, that feels like it's looming heavy on the horizon and I'm never going to tackle that and I'm going to lose it spectacularly during this job process. But it never happened. And... You know, I, I started to enjoy my career a hell of a lot more when I was able to to enjoy all of that process, go and put the kettle on, think, okay, what have I got to achieve today before I can credibly go and see a friend or go and meet someone for a pint that evening and enjoy the achievements of that day. And once I got better at doing that, I've enjoyed my career a hell of a lot more. You know, look forward to what podcast I'm listening to in the studio whilst I'm doing those portraits. Uh, think about, you know you know i don't know that maybe i get to work at home that day and see the kids on my lunch break brilliant you know and think of it that way and and i would liken it to the the whole process of that of whatever you it is you're trying to achieve don't don't burden yourself with having an amazing website or uh you know giving yourself a title and a cv just do the thing and, and see how you feel and if you're feeling good about it follow that path share it with the world and it is really amazing what will come back and even if it's not what you expected which sometimes that's the best possible thing because what comes instead can be incredible and mind-blowing. But that feeling and that love, in some way, I don't know whether it's quantum, I don't know whether it's spiritual, I don't know whether it's practical, whatever it is, you're putting that energy out there and it's just incredible and, and always surprising, you know, the people that you meet and the opportunities that come through that. And sometimes it's just a bridge or a doorway to something that you never even thought about that you could never have, you know, reached without doing that thing. So, you know, shackling yourself with expectations can be um, sometimes good, but usually
0: an unnecessary burden. Yeah. Momentum seems to be a big thing. I find just, just building some momentum and it's just small things, small, something could pop off over here. I'll do this. And then, you know, you always hear this term, don't you go with the flow and it can be often our minds have got resistance to that because you think like everything needs to be tough. But actually, as you say, whether it's spiritual or it's, you know, whatever, but the synchronicities abound everywhere. And there's like this magic of life that can just unfold when you allow it to be and just not have them rigid expectations and stuff. And this is where you've come now, you know, with the podcast and the books and stuff. So lead it into the books and now your new books. Let's tell us a little bit about it and. Why, why, first of all, what, how come you've done two, straight off the bat?
1: <laughs> well, it goes back to the point you made there about, um, I think, whether, whether you're, the, whether you're the, and this always, I should preface it by saying everything comes down to the person's character and individuality, because if you don't lead with that, you'll find you're going up against natural tendencies that make something feel like a chore or, or you know, whatever it might be. But whether you're going running headlong, and driven and focused solely on that one thing, which is, again, for the right person, that's essential and and, and brilliant. Or whether you're the kind of person who likes to amble and see what's there, and like you say, go for that thing that pops off over here that might seem interesting or feel good. Um, I think you have to go with feeling and and be willing to admit that something might change along the way and, and action that, and not be too afraid to lead, follow that change, you know? So for me, it, it was very much about i'd written a lot of stories and like everything else i do they had that rough around the edges quality you know um, if i try and polish anything it falls apart and that's a fundamental part of my character and it's something that i've learned over the years to turn into an exclusively good thing you know to, to turn it into this rugged illustration style or a slightly sketchy you know podcast quality at sometimes and just learn to, to factor that into the branding but with the writing I had a lot of these stories that had that rawness about them. There was the kind of loose overall theme. They were quite dark. There was a lot of black comedy going on within these stories that very much mirrored my character. But there wasn't a formulaic thing going on. There wasn't a book plan. There wasn't a collection or anything at all. There wasn't a, you know, a body for them. So, like we said, it's very much I was very much in that phase of creating them because I was loving them. And I was loving the response that I would get from close friends who, bless them, suffered, you know, a story a day coming down their WhatsApp, you know, seeking their feedback. Um, because I knew it would make them laugh. And it was getting the, the reactions that I thought from people with similar senses of humor. And then lockdown happened. And where I found myself was, as we discussed, New twin father, completely knackered, completely bamboozled with everything that was going on in the best way. This magical time, and you know, you sit there watching the news every day. And I I was very—I've always been a very observant person. And what I started to notice was the many, many ways that people that I both knew and didn't know were were coping or not coping with this completely challenging time that was lockdown. And I found it fascinating. And, And one thing that I picked up on was, in particular, the kind of almost that suburbia so a very stereotypical middle-class neighborhood this is what popped out in my mind maybe because i live in one and i started to look at you know what was going on behind the curtains and you suddenly had poor parents who you know, their kids come charging through the doors and they knew that they weren't going to school the next day and all of a sudden they're the teacher. And not only are the teacher, they've got a full-time job to deal with and, you know, and then dad's home and maybe dad's been on the road five days a week for 20 years and they've not had to deal with each other's annoying company. And my dark humor kicked in big time then. And And again, it was part coping, part coping with the challenges we all struggled with during lockdown, this massive, you know, transformation. Um, of what we're new in our daily lives but also my you know just my eyebrow raised and that was it that was it I, I did two posts on and this goes back to the tumblr point actually that you made I set up an instagram account called stories for the apocalypse and it was set up it was named way before the you know the pandemic I certainly didn't comic, you know consider that an apocalypse in any way um it's that was just a title that seemed to encapsulate the um the kind of the reasons I would write these stories about the part coping part observation thing and I again I share I shared them on there with a very quick illustration or a very quick photograph that took on my mobile phone without overthinking it being quite punk with it and just putting these things out there you know and not over worrying about whether it was all properly edited and the rest of it and again feedback was wonderful and it opened my eyes and it became what started as just one cursory post about a guy hearing through the thin wall of his house the next door neighbor, like the squeak of her squeezing into a bath, and these kind of very like painfully normal everyday noises, and the husband like tenderly asking where the you know how he turns on the cooker because he's not spent any time at home over it. That was it, I was off, and it became this daily thing, and people started to look forward to the posts. And I got lots of lovely messages saying this is really helping me through lockdown. It's you know it's cracking me up every day. These kind of raw, real life imagined couples and and uh, you know and lonely people. And it was it was quite serious and sad at times. And that it was again it wasn't the plan to put it out as a book. A few friends said this has to come out. This is this is a, a time capsule book. This is this you know we have to see this in some format. So that's what happened. I'd been planning Your Mum, which is the um, the book I'm really kind of getting behind at the minute. But, I, you know, Isolation Watch became this guinea pig where I could suddenly try putting together an ebook and see what the market was like, you know, what was going on, you know, how do I get it on Amazon? How do I get it on Apple Books? How do I promote the thing? What's Goodreads all about? This was my guinea pig and just something that there was no pressure on me to release that I could go out there and just learn the market and see what people were saying. So that's why there's two, really, you know, it was a very much it was a timely thing and I'd already begun to plan the other one. And as far as that one, as far as your mum, the plan, I'll never get tired of saying that, but (laughs) the, um, the, the plan for that book, again, there wasn't a plan. It was it was a friend of mine who shares a dark sense of humor. Um, for for some time we'd been messaging each other pictures of the things we would just find around you know like a glove stuck on the top of a fence somewhere or a baby's dummy that's found in the street and those kind of what's the story there, how's that come to be there, why is there just one shoe in the you know on the curb on a Sunday morning and we loved that idea and it was him that said to me you know you need to do this in your style it'd be brilliant as a, a montage artwork of these iconic things that we see around on the streets. So I eventually did it. That idea had been, you know, marinating for months. And one day I had a clear slot. Job fell through, did that poster. And what happened was I'd been writing this isolation watch stuff, but also in that prolific phase of writing, I'd begun to sort of tell these stories based around personal experiences, be that from youth, be it from adolescence, be it from adulthood. Yeah, without thinking just put you know just content for this little instagram page that i'd set up and w- what i noticed was there was a great synchronicity between these stories of kind of rugged, rugged northern childhood in a working class mill town and these found items so i thought wouldn't it be cool if for each of the 21 illustrations on the artwork there was a really snappy short story to go with each one um and then I'd become friends with Nick Asbury, who's a fantastic writer uh, based in Manchester. And I asked him about his own little independent books that he'd been putting out there. And he was kind enough to come back and recommend some printers and tell me how he'd done things and that the printers weren't he wasn't as unaffordable as you might imagine, you know, being new to the book making game. And I thought, okay, this is affordable. This is doable. Why, why the hell not? Let's do this as a little book volume. You know, as an independent venture, all they have to do is shift, let's say, 100 copies and it will break even on the investment. So the material's already sat there. Let's do it. So that's yeah, that's yeah, the story of those two books, basically.
0: So that's great to hear that you produced them yourself. And I think we live in such a different world now where we don't have to ask someone else's permission to do something anymore. We don't need to get approval. We don't need to send something off and someone say, yes, we're going to publish it. No, we're not. It's like the technology's out there. Same with podcasting. You know, go back 10, 20, 30 years, you'd have to go into broadcasting. Same with writing; you'd know, you have to work for a newspaper. You'd have to, you know. So that's amazing. It that now it's like that's to the the things that may be in people's way are not there anymore. So to hear your journey with that, and it to start some of it to just start from, you know, putting out some Instagram posts and then seeing where it goes. Because that's the theme that I'm getting from this. You know, from from you talking, just like you know, just going with it just starting small seeing what like see if there's any traction see if people enjoy it and that mm-hmm. when you're getting that feedback from people it helps to build momentum and go actually yeah maybe I could I could go down that street with it so I'm interested um so your actual writing and stuff obviously you're juggling being you know having two, one baby on one arm and one on the other at times but do you have um do you have a set time for writing and how do you, is there times when you know you won't feel in the space for it, but you're like, I'm going to do it anyway. And I'm just going to keep going. Or do you feel like you have to be in that space to to write?
1: It's in, that's an interesting one. Um, it's, again, it's a momentum thing for me. Um, I can technically write and have written, you know, especially throughout this time, because I've necessity has driven my kind of, you know, I can't, I can't, so I suddenly can't get the low light on in the study from 8pm until 10pm onwards, because, you know, kids kind of dictate your schedule much more than would have been the case on my own. But no, I mean, I really have become resourceful in terms of, you know, there's a bit on the dog walk where I sit on a fallen tree and give the dog a treat and let him sniff around some woods. And that is always an opportunity for me to refine a paragraph, for example. And I'll just, you know, I'll just dump an email, you know, a, a Microsoft Word document that I've been working on into my phone, open it on the notes whilst I'm in the woods and just do a bit more or, you know, sit it on the toilet. That's become a common thing. Um, you know, it's a, the sanctuary of a new parent, really. And um, That's one, um, you know, on a journey, on a train. That's not to say there's not times when I can't do that because I'm simply not in the right headspace. I found that writing far more than illustrating, you know, um, is something that I have to feel, have to be feeling. And when I am feeling it, I can be really prolific, you know. We're talking, you know, multiple thousand words in a short amount of time if I if I hit the floor. Um, but necessity also dictates that I have to find the floor. I can't. I don't have the luxury of going out, you know. No, I've not been feeling it for two weeks, you know, because otherwise I just don't get it done because time is is more precious now. Um, I have ideal conditions and I know that every writer is different you know I have listened to a lot of writing and self-publishing podcasts to kind of learn the market as much as I can throughout this time and it seems that again everyone's different you know some people really do have to write from 8am until 11am unbroken you know that, that and I love that I find that really interesting to see what everyone's particular way is but for me, yes, yeah, I've very much always been, once the idea has clicked and once I've got the feeling for it, I have to do it through to completion quite compulsively. I've always been like that with my illustration, which has been a part of the reason that I've got this very raw, simplistic style. I guess it's a reflection of that need to see it through and need to get it done and not overthink it, otherwise it jars and becomes stagnant.
0: I, I love that you are, we are making the most of your time, because obviously you've got to juggle a lot of stuff now where pet, say one, someone might take the dog for a walk and they get a moment to sit down. They might spend time on Facebook or checking the football news or playing a game, same as on the toilet. you know. But you're you, you're making the most of that time and we've all got that time each day. Even if you've got loads of kids or you've got loads of busy work, there is them times where you're using that. It reminds me of someone else um, who I uh, follow, uh, Ben Greenfield. Um, who is a um, like fitness expert, and he will basically just again where many other people might use that time just to like mindlessly scroll. If he's in a cab from the airport to somewhere, he'll take that time to just continue writing. And I love that idea, yeah. well, that technique of you know having a Word Doc, having it on your phone, so you, at any time you can can just do it. And even if you're just putting some notes in, or you never know what can come. Because I think sometimes if we say I have to do this, I have to. It's like saying to yourself, tomorrow at this time, between eight and ten i'm going to write it's like, well, you might not feel like it. it might you know any time is, is it can be a good time so yeah that's yeah, it, it's
1: completely true, and you know we, we all have we all have deadlines and you know and things that dictate when that work has to be done, when we don't always have that choice but you you're completely right you uh, the flip side of that is if it's something that you're self initiating or something that you're the driver of um in this case an independent book you you do have to again you have to pay attention to feeling and what i've not done throughout this time is rest enough um i mean i you know it's funny because i for the first X amount of time, I insisted that like Laura had a day off in the week from both the kids and work. And just, you know, even if she just wanted to lie on the bed and stare at the ceiling for, you know, for the day, that was fine. It was just that seven days a week with two children. It's a heavy toll, it's, it's really intense. Um, and I, you know, what that meant was I, I was doing seven days a week with either the kids or work there wasn't much else around that. You know, I'd get to the bedtime and just collapse into bed or whatever else. So I've hit these certain points along the way where I've just had to take an afternoon or, you know, or a day off on one of my work days, which I kind of hate doing when it, that's the, the the downside of it being an independent venture. It's all on me. So I'm like, it's not the time to be, to be resting, you know, <laughs> but you, you do, you have to listen to your body and your mind and you have to adhere to that. And that's when the best creativity comes is, just grabbing it grabbing hold of it when a surge of momentum or an idea comes and like you said rob it's about it's about setting yourself up so that you do have these transient um what's the word transient vehicles be that an instagram account be it a tumblr it can be myspace if you want it that's kind of irrelevant what it is as long as it works for you and i think if you don't shackle yourself to you know to a particular set of circumstances you really can free yourself up and it's, it's the best feeling to know that you know to know that you've managed to spend a day with your two kids and walk the dog twice and have a few phone calls with friends and write part of a book it's like it, you you know it's like this is bloody brilliant I kind of love the pace of all this it, you know it's, it can burn you out but for me personally I, I find that I have to be responsive and, and I need variation you know, if I've had a, a long day with the kids, I have to have at least had some kind of creative boost in the day to to feel like I'm, I'm taking care of all aspects
0: of me. Yeah, I, that's exactly how I feel. You know, every day you want to feel like you've got, you know, you've got that freedom to express yourself in some way. And to hear that you're still doing it with two kids is, is inspiring for me because I often hear... Um, a lot of people and uh, will talk about, you know, will talk about the things that they want to do or in some ways they make excuses for not doing the things that they want to do. They said, well, you know, if I had more time, I'd do this, you know, and almost like, they, like, justifying not following the dreams. Um, mm-hmm. but you, you know, the thing that's come from me, from what you're saying there, is like creating, like freedom, you know, you're creating freedom to do the things that you want and you're proving that you can do these things, even, you know, the fact that, you know, the, your partner's on maternity and you're trying to give her time and space, but you've got work to do. You're a freelancer. It's not someone isn't putting you, giving you 10 months pay or, you know, you've got, to, you've got to step up to do it. And, you know, you're doing that and you're doing it in like a, in a beautiful way as well, which is, you know, you probably don't really know what might be around the corner in a few weeks time. You know, you know what some works on the stuff, but you kind of just, you, you are going with the flow and you've got that freedom. So um, it is it's really inspiring.
1: Thank you. And don't get me wrong, it's terrifying too, you know, this is one thing I want to make clear and it's the hot. I guess this is why I wrote Champagne and Max Crowns in 2000, well, before 2015, that's when it came out. Um, it's, and I've wrote about this recently and um, for better and worse, I'm right back at the start. It's like snakes and ladders, you know, I've got to that second to last square as an illustrator, you know, I know the game, I've got the confidence in my work, I've got regular clients and then bang, I've hit that snake by choice, so I should add. To suddenly be decide I'm going to set up this whole author website and call myself a writer as well as an illustrator, and I'm right back with the same old self doubt that was that, that inspired champagne, and it's a brilliant feeling because I know that unknown is the the unknown of what could happen and what might happen is fantastic, but also the terror of what might not happen is right back there with you as well, and it's the same as it ever was, and you know that's the thing, and you mentioned confidence earlier. A lot of the time i'm you know very confident i'm I'm certainly confident in my ability to create this stuff but my ability to make it work as a business and to to live off it and everything else with two kids well you know there's no guarantees there and you certainly you know you can have all the creative feeling in the world but there has to be a lot of faith and a lot of trust to do that and it's and it is bloody scary as hell you know so i am kind of doing this with a lot of fear and a lot of moments of self-doubt so I just want to make that clear you know it's it's something I think we all have especially now beginning this again um but I I, you know the, the only way I've ever succeeded in anything that I've done is with a cavalier attitude and it's not that those feelings go away but you just learn to kind of nudge them to one side
0: or even better channel them and work with them yeah, definitely channel them. And that's the thing, that more you do stuff, the confidence does come. You it makes you feel like, well, it worked out that time. So we can and give it a go and keep growing. Um mm-hmm. but yeah, that's um that's that's it's it's great to um it's great to get that. And it's true because often you can you know, you can think maybe other people are are flying with stuff and it comes easy to them, but it doesn't. You know, you've got to push up against your edges, you've got to go against what feels uncomfortable. You know that is that's where true growth is is actually to keep on going, even though it's terrifying you're like shit, i don't know what's going to happen, you know what's going to unfold for me? Am I going to lose everything? Am I going to be a laughing stock I think that's one thing that can stop a lot of us from doing stuff as well is the is fear of being judged of bad comments, bad reviews, you know you know it's it often get all comes from i think it's part of the ego, but then it even comes from childhood school. You know, I think we spoke about it when I was on your podcast about you know the school system and stuff. It doesn't exactly encourage people to go out on their own, and and, you know, and well, in some ways it does, but it's very, um, you know, becomes very competitive, and no one wants to be last, and no one wants to be judged or shamed. So, um, yeah, it does take it does take some guts and some willpower, but you know, you just gotta you gotta push through it. You do, you
1: do, and uh, and you know, there is something about you know. there's something about when you see the successful finished product of anything by anyone to buy into that as that's how it always was, or, like, you know, like they knew they were going to succeed and like there wasn't this whole, you know, catastrophic, no, no not catastrophic, chaotic journey along the way of all these things of doubts of how that bill's getting paid. And when, you know, when I suddenly have this family to support, and the business to run you know and illustration agents who you know work very closely with me and and we have a great relationship and the great thing about those guys is it's illustration x um, and they are they're fantastically supportive of the whole ecosystem so they've never once turned around and gone why are you writing stories about you know all the weird things i write about um when you know when when we should be making money off you they've never been that they've always been quite the opposite they've been very excited about everything and in fact they were the ones who gave me the idea to do a podcast in the first place and sponsored it to get it off the ground and it was like that's incredible faith in us as artists who are represented by them um and you double back on that and give that back to them but that's by the by but but you know when there's something about so one of the stories is called a hymn for new parents that I wrote about and in, in, in X amount of time, you'll understand this implicitly, but it's about a guy who basically is a very meek character. He's very uh, quiet, lovely fella. And he stands up outside a cafe and chins a policeman. And, um, and it, it, you know, everyone's completely stunned around. And, it, and the, the arc of the story is that his wife suddenly cottons on that he's done it to get a night's sleep in, in jail in a cell. And, um, and and by the end of the story, once she cottons on, she, she uses the savings they've been given by relatives for the kids to bail him out. And when he's out, she then hits a copper so she can get longer in the cell, knowing that he can't pay to get her out. <laughs> and, but, you know, it's, it's kind of, it's funny. And when you illustrate it and put it out there, people kind of go, oh, that's cool, that's quirky, he's got a book coming out. But me, I'm going, Shit, what am I doing? I'm writing a story about a guy who's knackered and hitting a copper and I've got two kids to feed you know and that's not paying the bills anytime soon because it's a short story that I've put out on my website for free but I have to believe that in the longer term of things that in let's say 10-15 years time when hopefully I'm in a position where I'm choosing on my own project between writing and illustration it's the faith in doing that then for no money that will pay off in the long term I have to believe that and that's one of the biggest drivers like you said earlier to work hard now and to really try and be smart and set the foundations so that i i'm not going to look bloody stupid when <laughs> you know when i can't a my water bill <laughs> you know so there's a very real fear there but it's um it's also very exciting and you know character building
0: it is exciting and i think a lot of people may naturally be pushed into more that fearful exciting role coming up you know we're talking in this time in 2020 which which basically 2020 has been basically nuts uh, on the whole and no one could have expected this 12 months ago a lot of people are going to be taken out of comfortable roles comfortable jobs and maybe thinking shit work to go next but often that can be if you can think of it as a positive as well it's like you know this is you know i've got freedom now sometimes people don't leave behind the security of something because that's what they think it is it keeps them secure but even though they're not following what they really wish to do but this can be often the driver to push them, encourage them to, you know, to go down that path. And just one thing I want to touch on when you're saying about, you know, you're doing stuff now and it may not be for, say, 2, 5, 10, 15 years before it's kind of really flourish. So it makes me think about the the bamboo tree and how you supposedly you have to water that and look after it. it stays underground for years. And then all of a sudden, in the space of a few months, it shoots up about 30, 30 feet high. So you never know, you know, planting them seeds and keep watering and keep doing them. Because often we we want to do something, we want to produce something and think, oh, this is gonna make this is gonna make me rich or it's gonna make me famous. And again, it's all the ego driving them things. But sometimes it just takes persevering, you know, just keep going on it, keep enjoying it. Obviously, you want to enjoy what you're doing as well and, and maybe not be thinking about what's gonna come out of it. I think the journey, you know. The journey is the destination in a way you want to just enjoy each step along the way um but yeah that's that's good to hear
1: it's completely true you know and and there was a the big shift in my career that that um I was able to get my dream client, which was WWE, World Wrestling Entertainment, or, you know, I used to be WWF for people of our age. And I was able to get them three years into my career as an illustrator, Doing, a, I did a big series of set designs for all the villains in the magazine, and it was, to this day, I haven't, it hasn't sunk in, I don't think I ever will, you know, it, it's, it's just bananas. But what happened was, joking, people said to me jokingly, "Oh, you know, what now? You know, that's it. You're there." And it never felt like that. Of course, it didn't. I was three years into an illustration career; with baby steps. But what it did was made me think, "What? What is now? You know, that that is some kind of zenith in my in my world in terms of my personal ambitions." And there was a real shift, and I didn't understand what it was at the time. It wasn't like I made a decision to shift this way, but very much I've built my career since. On feeling and enjoyment of that journey, and not it's no longer goal driven. Um, no disrespect to any clients that I've worked for, and there's been some brilliant ones for me personally, but I don't care who they are anymore. In respect of it, it if I enjoy the project they're putting in front of me, if it's create, if it's creatively fulfilling and hopefully it's doing some good, then that is everything now. I'm no, I'm no, I'm with the writing in particular, you know, there's a there's. I think one of the reasons that people chase a traditionally published deal is the prestige. I really do. Um, but what I learned, you know, through the, my publisher were, were very good in a lot of ways. You know, they got me the deal in Japan, but in other ways they weren't good. And it wasn't that that publisher wasn't good. It was that the experience of the traditional deal wasn't good for me as an author. And what I mean by that is, you know, I was getting a one pounds ten, I think it was, in every thirteen quid book sale. So right off the bat, financially. That's a lot of cut to give away. And for that, you know, they were doing what a publisher does. They were producing the books. They would do a little bit of cursory marketing. Um, they would do the the basic stuff. But I knew that I'd built um a network where I could produce professional book you know my wife's a graphic designer I've got a close friend who's an editor I wasn't going to do this in, you know this isn't amateur hour I want I wanted to pay the money to make this as good as what a publisher would put out there and test myself but also on a more fulfillment level I realized that I was never happier than sitting in the corner of you know a coffee shop somewhere on a Tuesday morning and writing these stories and being lost completely in that headspace and so going back to that point about WWE That shift in suddenly being about the actual enjoyment of creating the thing and not about the idea of who I was working for or the form it would take means that I'm able to comfortably step into this independent space now. And by selling 200 bucks, I can make the same money that what I would have, you know, what would have to be 2000 bucks with a traditional deal. So that pressure is right off and I can work within a network that I've built through my illustration work of people who actually do care about what I'm creating and what I'm trying to say in my books. That's an amazing feeling. You know, I'm not worrying about being a bestseller or being on any lists or any accolades and the, the pressure that lifts is wonderful. And it really, um, you know, it, it just, it, there's a real freedom that's come with that. Like I've completely forgotten my original thread, but I'm sure if that makes any sense
0: it does it makes perfect sense so where's the book now then how if someone's listening to this you want to check it out where what's the best way is it is it in is it in shops or is it best to get online or
1: at this point, uh, it, so it, the, the paperback is on the new website, but it's bentallenwriter.com. Um, that's, you know, that's it. It's completely independent, man-to-man. It's, it's, that's what I'm doing at the moment. Um, as things progress, I would like to try and get it in a number of indie bookshops, so, the, you know, the likes of Magma and places that I think would be really well suited to this book because the, the real, um, you know, it's, it's 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 a naughty book. It's black comedy. It's, it's social commentary. It's, you know, there's some, there's some quite horrible bits in there, but... For the people who share that sense of humour with me, I think they really love it and I think that it's well suited to those indie shops. Um, you know, who knows, maybe it'll end up in Waterstones one day, but like I said, it's at this point, it's very, again, it's very much let's see, let's see who I meet, let's see who will take it on and how that works. Um, but at the minute, it's through the website and thanks to the wonderful technology we have these days, you know, there you are, website, PayPal, card, and you can have that book sent with a personal message. So that's what's really lovely. And I'm finding that the people that are picking up the book have been there along the way, you know, since champagne and since I started illustrating and have been supportive all along. And there's something very, very wholesome about that. So I'm not, you know, you don't get me wrong. It's, it'd be wonderful if people I've never met, start to buy this thing, which has happened, but you know, again, let's find out, let's let, let's see. And let's keep writing these stories and see how, you know, that I, that I grow as an author. Um, and just to go off actually on a tangent, there was something that popped in there in my head. And it's about what I went through during this pe- this period in particular of lockdown. And, and before that was, I felt that to, to make positive change with any of my work, I had to be very direct. So I, I, in per, you know, personally, I get really quite low sometimes about you know, the environment, for example, and about climate change. And I, I found that had a strangling effect on my creativity. And I think this is something that, well, I know this is something that's happening at the moment and I, because I see it all the time on social media with conversations with friends. And it's that feeling that what's the effing point, you know, with, with everything that's happening at the moment with politics and, and the bad things in the world. And I, and I got quite trapped as someone who's always been passionate about, about doing some good with my work and about graphic activism and about good writing. I fell into that trap of thinking, to make a difference to the environment i've got to stand with a placard and, and and sign on with friends of the earth and you know these are things i've done and do so i'm not having to go at that in any way but i had these timely reminders of, throughout lockdown and, and they came through it was craig oldham who's a designer based in manchester and he'd done this wonderful project about the miners strike which his parents were a part of in the 80s and it was all about of that era and about the the protest graphics and everything that went and what those families went through going on strike for a year and the whole political landscape, it was an incredibly personal and niche project that was really beautiful and, and executed fantastically. That coupled with the work of Dewinda Bansal, who's a friend of mine, and Dewinda was born and raised in Wolverhampton from parents from India, so she was from the first generation of Indian people to move to the UK in the nineteen sixties, and all of the work deals with her personal experiences of for example growing up in a electrical store that her dad ran Um, and it was also like a a bollywood vhs rental shop and she was in charge of um you know doing copying the videos pirating the videos she laughs about it now about about illegally copying these tapes and she was in charge of stickering up the ratings So she had like, she knew a guy who did knock off stickers. So she had all the 18, the 15, the 12, the PG. And she took a look at the cover and would guess at the age rating, just guess uh, for these films and do it. So that, and that's a project that she had called, um, oh, I've gone blank. Anyway, I'll, I'll think of it, but the project, these are incredibly personal, nuanced projects that come from a very pure experience. And yet they've both found ways to create them in such a way that inspires people in so many different ways and my dad read a biography of Charles Dickens and he lent me it and you know to learn about Charles Dickens influence on the workhouses even if it's just as simple as that he told the story of the time in these fictitious stories he was writing the long-term effect of that and and making people aware of it you know and, and I believe the story is that Scrooge you know really made people in power feel kind of like Scrooge at the time and that it helped workers rights all of these stories seemed to fall in my lap somehow at that time when I was feeling really quite despondent about the power of creativity so what it did was free it freed me right up again and, and to think laterally and to think hang on a minute no I don't have to be doing something direct about every single cause because that's a heavy thing to carry around our necks I think we can all change the world but what they reminded me is that these bizarre stories I was starting to write and these lived experiences had a way wider ripple effect than than I had let myself believe. And you know, it's really helped me stay something close to happy throughout this whole time. You know, it's, it's reminded me of that. And I now don't overthink that I, you know, as long as I'm doing work that I feel really good about that I think is, is gonna make someone else happy. But then it's amazing, you know, I got um, an email from a lady, uh, Linda Grayling, who is an illustration student at Falmouth, and she wrote her dissertation on your mum, the book, and, then, and that project of those street finds, comparing the artefacts that I found to Roman archaeological finds, Roman Empire stuff. And I was mind blown by this, you know, chariot wheel, um, and she was comparing it to my, my hubcap. That was one of the items I've found things. You know, and back then people were drawing phalluses on the wall, <laughs> you know, so it's like again, you cannot predict that stuff, and it's beautiful and it's wonderful. So, you know, in terms of making a difference, you know, I just want to, I guess, I just want to remind people that you can't always know how it's going to inspire people, but there are countless examples of work that is incredibly personal and fun that does just that.
0: Yeah, 100%. How do you find balancing between? having all the creativity and creating a book and doing the artwork and getting it produced and then having to sort of put on a different hat and go right, okay, now I need to be focused on promotion it, selling it, you know, getting that. How do you, how how do you find between the two? Is is there a part of you that just wants to get on and get on with the next project and, and just keep going or what? I'd like to hear your, your stand on that.
1: I have a love of both sides of it, which helps. I think, one of the reasons i've been able to you know build and sustain a career in this game is the fact that i'm from a you know where i'm from this my small, small working class mill town where very early on i had to learn how to speak to all kinds of weirdos and eccentric characters um and that steeled me very well for the real world i suppose and for talking and getting along with and, and working with all these amazing different varied characters so that's Put me in a some maybe it's rare I don't know something of a rare position I suppose as being the artist but also being able to go out there and and actually talk about the thing it doesn't always come natural partic- particularly the organisational side of it my computer is a complete bomb site and anyone who's organised who needs to be organised would completely freak out if they could see my files on my computer um, so that doesn't come naturally but the, but this stuff the talking about it, it does because a lot of my work is you know certainly the books anyway they are created because I really want to to create them and I love the subject matter so it's really not difficult for me to talk about that and like I say thanks to the upbringing I guess and just nature making me this way I suppose I'm able to talk to people and and articulate a little bit which helps so so you know I'm, I'm learning I mean I've been you know, this is—it's all very new. This, and I've been hammering a, a podcast called the Self Publishing Show, which is a wonderful. I mean, it does what it says on the tin, but it's it's two indie authors who they get an expert in a certain field on every single episode, whether it's Amazon marketing, Instagram marketing, or um, building—you know—finding your niche audience for for the subject matter that you're writing. So there's been a lot of learning going on in that in that area, and there's going to have to be a lot more learning because I'm missing tricks left, right, and center. But again, it goes back to the not hanging this stuff around your neck too much and, and just being at peace with where you are with that project. I've got no doubt that I'll look back and laugh at the way that I marketed this thing in 10 years' time. And I hope that's the case because it means I've progressed. But yeah, you know, the different things comes reasonably natural. Like I say, I've I've, I've had to learn necessity because of the kids. <laughs> so, you know, when I need to write, I can write. And when I need to
0: market, I can market. There's no, there's no trouble in flipping between the two. Yeah. Um, And how much do you think having your podcast going for the past few years has sort of informed what you do and, you know, like helping you be able to promote and, and actually just sitting down with what hundreds of people and like for an hour or so and just sit around them and get all the inspiration from them. I'm kind of answering it, (laughs) answering my own question here. but
1: (laughs) No, not at all. But what you said is absolutely right. But I, I've said this to people I've I, I know I equate this to like the third formal installment of my education you know I would I would put it on a par with the university and my BTEC sort of foundation course at college At college it's that it's been that much of a learning experience to spend time around that many interesting people and see the way they do things and to hear their stories and their angle on creativity Oof, I mean that's being a real blessing, you know, the the, the sheer range of people. And I, I don't know about you, but I come away from every one of these things, no matter who or what they're doing, completely inspired and energised. You know, it's, I remember walking into Graham Wood's kitchen. Graham Wood is a design uh, artist. He doesn't like, to, he's very much against the kind of barriers of creativity. And I walked into Graham's kitchen and he had a laptop out and he was playing with this, some sort of VR tool, and again, he didn't know what it was, didn't know how it worked, just having fun building this world in it. And he said, I always try to be making something and not put anything on that experience, not put any constraints on it. You know, it doesn't matter whether it's a piece of blue tack or a VR app or whatever. He said, I always just try to be playing with something. And he very much equates it to magic. And, you know, we're talking about magic in an Alistair Crowley sense here, but he very much is about the feeling and the wonder and and leading with that things like that. Well, you know, to have that experience, you know, Graham Woody is very much looked up to as for his work in tomato in the nineties is very, very, very influential and inspired a hell of a lot, a hell of a lot of students around that time. So to have that privilege, you know, and that's, you know, we're talking about a legend there, but then also to have a first year student show up in my studio and and kind of ambush her with a podcast just because what she was saying was really fascinating and interesting, you know, it's just, it's all been brilliant. Um, but it has yeah it's really opened up my mind in terms of what creativity is and how it behaves and how you shouldn't and really can't control it you can manage it and work with it but you kind of have to follow it if you know what I'm getting at and it's like you have to respond to it you know if you're in a bad mood and you can't draw write or paint or whatever it is any day don't try sometimes you're better off just going and sitting and having a coffee and having a little rest and waiting for it to come back if you if you if you can you know? So, but yeah, yes, yeah, you know, I've gone off there, but the podcast has been really, really important on that level. Um, And it's why I'll continue to do it now for as long as I can imagine. I think, you know, even if I only do it once a year or something, I will always be doing it in some capacity for
0: those reasons. Yeah, I feel in the absolutely the same boat. Like some of the people that I've had on, you know, I couldn't just ring them up and, or get in touch and say, do you want to have a chat with me for an hour and a half? They'd be like, what? <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> um but i can speak with some really interesting people because you know they people want to share the story and they know that they can get out there to you know hundreds or thousands of people or whatever but um -hmm. it's the same for me like i just want to continue to do it because me sat here with you now like to have these conversations like you're inspiring me about writing about creativity about me thinking about becoming a father and how i can still find ways and times to be you know to be on it and still have that creative output um yeah it's really interesting and also yeah you touched on it beginning like your or earlier on your podcast started by your illustrated agency encouraging you to do it didn't they and actually they sponsored you to get going and i think over time you've built up a few sponsors on the podcast so it actually becomes a point where it's not just a hobby it does actually begin to you know bring some money in for you yeah
1: yeah very much so um harry Lion smith who who wrote, who's the md of illustration x fantastic guy I mean, he's he's very open-minded and he's always excited about the next thing and then taking the agency in that direction and it was after champagne and what's crayons you know like the, I think the thread here with all these things is they're very they're all very accidental and that's what comes when you shift to that approach I guess suppose being more feeling feeling driven than client name driven or goal driven and um, you know like we said suddenly you do you, it's not that that opportunity wasn't popping off as you put it over there all along it's just that suddenly you 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 see it now and you're looking a bit wider and I wrote Champagne and you know it was a it was a bigger surprise to me as anybody else that I had this book out because it had just come from frustration and from rejection and all those things but what happened was a lot around that time a combination of through my work and through that book I started to get students getting in touch and asking questions whether it was for industry help or essays or whatever and I loved that I got a huge compliment out of that so I I responded to everyone and then universities and design events you know asked me to start speaking I think the kind of raw honest nature of that book had a great appeal because there is a lot of glossing over on Instagram you know showing off that perfect photo and, and everything else but not the chaos that's going on around it and in your head so I went to Harry after that. I really liked this kind of speaking about it style and writing these opinion pieces and the likes. So I went to Harry and I said, um, you know, I was aware that my agency was starting a news section of the website where they would let people behind the curtain a little bit in terms of projects and the process. And I, my initial idea was that I could talk to the artists on our agency and interview them for that, for that. And Harry kind of went, well, I don't think that'll happen. I don't think there's really gonna be scope for that. It's just a very simple news section but have you thought about podcasting because you love talking about this stuff and you seem to be able to do it pretty well. And he said to me at the time I listened to 20 odd podcasts, you know, throughout the working week, as did, as did I at the time. And it, sometimes it just takes that outside perspective to notice something that was waiting to happen. And I, it hadn't occurred to me, despite the sheer amount of podcasts I was listening to as a freelancer, you know, and he said it and I kind of went, You know, your gut reaction, and I think you alluded to this earlier, Rob, is, um, oh, I don't know, I'm not a broadcaster, I've got no experience, I don't have the kit, but hang on a minute, we're in 2000, and I think it was 15 at the time, or 16, and I do have access to the kit. And they've offered to sponsor me so I can buy the microphone and I didn't need a lot to get it off the ground. Turns out GarageBand is reasonably easy to chop up a piece of audio and put it out there. And really, it's like, you know, if I had been putting out BBC quality stuff, it just I don't think it would have fit with what my, you know, aesthetic is all about as a character or a professional. So really, I just ran with that and put out this kind of pirate radio quality audio talking to interesting people again there wasn't a goal i didn't have a plan to keep this going it was like okay well, we'll, we'll do it we'll do it over a few months see what happens and the agency loved it you know they got behind it helped me promote the thing you know again you know, see it's, it's the willingness to see and to find out and, and as it goes for those reasons we just talked about i just
0: loved it and
1: kept doing it and you know it's it's a gift that keeps on giving
0: yeah and uh, did it grow just organically or do you think that you had to there were certain times when you actually like really get on board and try and focus your energy to to promote it
1: yeah yeah it had to be driven you know i had to make sure it was out there on spotify and the rest of the, the nuts and bolts stuff and to this day i i've very naively haven't ever got a mailing list for the podcast i haven't ever you know I haven't ever formalized all them people that have tweeted and said lovely things or, or had a, you know, laughed at my accent or (laughs) pulled me up on a point or whatever. I haven't ever put them in a spreadsheet. And, and, you know, I'm right back at the start with this book going, you're an idiot. You had a book out there that a few thousand people bought and, and loved and you never put them in a spreadsheet, you know, and suddenly GDPR has reset all that anyway. So it's like, again, that's my, that's my shortcoming. But, yeah it's been a mix of organic growth and you know just by pumping this stuff out on social and having chats with people about it or sending a link and actually having to work a little bit to grow the you know to grow it and to design nice logos and nice posters and the
0: rest of it you know again still learning yeah and you know it's, what i found for mine as well is i've actually got clients off the back of it you know we've had some work come out that way and you don't expect that. You just want to sit down and have a conversation with people. And at the end of it, like, oh, what are you doing? Like, oh, I'm you know, I'm a designer and got a design company. Oh, right, okay. You know, we yeah, we need a website doing like, oh right, okay. I didn't it's it was the easiest sales pitch in in the world. You know, I didn't have to say anything. They were just like and there's something as well about doing these things as well. Um you know, people have an element of being quite, you know, they're like they're impressed in that you're doing these things that, you know, they're like it's quite you know is it something to be wow you know it's impressive that you do these things and you do that as well so um yeah it's nice yeah, that, just it's to sure. find it. go on mate
1: sorry mate it, it shows initiative doesn't it and it's, and it's yeah. like you say it's the in today's world i think the worst way to market your thing is by just telling people it's out there and to go and buy it you know it's you have to be not smart not conceited in any way not subversive but like You know, let's look at your example for, you know, it's, you're passionate, you're very passionate about this and you've built a podcast very much in what you care about and what you, you know, the good you want to see in the world. And that's very real There's something people really do get on board with that, you know, whether it's because they admire it or they relate to it. There's something that shows more of your character and the way you're likely to work there than a portfolio ever could. That's the way I see it. And I just, you know, if it was forced and you were doing it to get those things, it wouldn't work. It has to be natural. And the amount of times I've gone and interviewed, let's say a creative director at an agency and been to their office and forgotten to take my promotional book on my business cards and being kicking myself by the end of it is countless, you know. Um, and it does, it does people, you, you build a, a, a small, often disposable relationship, but a relationship nonetheless because you're just doing something that's very honest, and you're doing it for the good of somebody else, and that's my goal with the podcast: is to leave, hopefully, a large archive of very inspiring stories that might help the next person. Creativity has become my driving cause, like we said earlier about, you know, about the the strain that we all feel about whether it's the environment or, let's say, Black Lives Matter, for example, the, these big things in the world at the moment. Um, we can't address all those, and we shouldn't try because it would break us mentally um but my cause has become creativity because i think it's fundamental to human happiness so if i can leave a snail trail of all these amazing experiences that i've had and share them with people so that they can learn from these very kind guests who've given me their time then you know i feel that i've done a little bit of good by by leaving that there so and i think people pick up on you know the reasons that i'm doing that podcast is not to market myself but because i care about creativity and there's something that's very attractive In that respect, and it does kind of perversely bring work. (laughs)
0: It does indeed. And I think on that little, you know, lovely words of wisdom, I think that seems like a great way to kind of bring bring our conversation to a close, you know. Um, you know, the fact that the theme that's run through it is all about creativity and having fun, um, and just seeing where things go without having great expectations. And what I did particularly like what you talked about is you don't polish your stuff too much, you know, you're not like you know, there'd be an elements of you want to hone your craft and get better at what you do, but you don't want to overspend time on it, becoming a perfection of it. It's like, no, I'm just going to keep going, keep growing, keep moving. Otherwise, you know, you would have a lot less work to show for yourself if you just spent so much long, you know, refining every little bit. Um, so, so if someone's listening to this now and they're like, they want to find out more about you, more about your podcast, more about your books, where's the best way for people to to find out?
1: Well I'm on all the social platforms at Ben Talon, all one word, that's you know Twitter, Twitter and Instagram primarily I don't you know the Facebook is a kind of automatic thing But websites, bentalon.com is my illustration portfolio and bentalonwriter.com is my writing home. So either of those places link back to the other one. Um, So there's a whole, you know, the biosphere is all contained within there. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, yeah, just Google me and go on, you know, my Instagram or Twitter. That's usually very up to date and all my links are in those places.
0: I'll be sure to include all the links as well to stuff and I'll show some imagery as well of the, the books and your artwork and your podcast and stuff. But yeah, Ben, it's been a pleasure chatting with you today. Thanks for your time.
1: Fantastic, mate. No, thank you very much. It's, it's always a joy to, uh, to talk about these things you spend so much time doing on your own. So <laughs> it's great and I appreciate the invite, mate. So thank you. You're welcome, mate.